Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me today, I have one of our elders, Rick Lyon. Rick, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good. We're going to be talking about uh, joy, what it means, what is it, how do we find it, how do we attain it, uh, so on and so forth. And uh, to get this podcast started, I'm going to read uh, from Philippians where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And that seems like a a high calling, a high standard coming from Paul um, to rejoice always, even in the midst of you know, hurt, pain, suffering, all those types of things. So what does it mean? What does it mean to rejoice always? And uh, how do we do this? Well, I uh, I wish I was good at it. <laughs> you know, joy is one of those things I think that's easier uh, to say than to maybe actually uh, see it be a reality in your life. You know, what does it mean to be joyful? Um, I think as I look, as I think about the term, um, I think it's helpful to think about the difference between joy and what we would classify as happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, we, in our society, you know, it's all about pursuing what makes you happy. Uh, we hear that all the time. Do whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you uh, fulfilled, whatever that term might be. But it's the same idea. Um, as I think about joy versus uh, or over and against happiness... I think of joy being something that isn't temporal. Um, It isn't derived from a situation or a circumstance of my life, but it's something that's steadfast in me, immovable despite circumstances, Mm -hmm. whereas happiness, generally I think of the idea of being temporarily satisfied with a circumstance. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I go to Disneyland with my family and I'm, in the happiest place on earth. We're having fun, going on rides, doing things as a family, but then we leave. And that that elation that happens in that moment dwindles. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I get, you know, a promotion at work and for a period of time I'm I'm stoked about that and I'm excited and I'm elated. Uh, but then the mundane kicks in and where did that go? Right. Um, so temporary circumstance, um, you know, determines happiness and joy is something a little more steadfast. So, and it's interesting to look at scripture uh, with that in mind. Yeah. I mean, we see this every, every Christmas, right? That uh, we, we wake up on Christmas morning and we get the gifts that we want. And it's like within hours, we're already like, okay, what's next? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we both have kids, so yeah. uh, we under, or, and we also were children, yeah. so we understand yeah. what that's like. Yeah. We open one present, and we're like, gee, thanks, Mom, for this laser gun. Yeah. Uh, what's my next present? Yeah, exactly. Where is it? Exactly. Uh, we just have to move on because yeah. um, our, our satisfaction is about the length of you know, the, the brainwave of a gnat. Yeah. We, we have about that much attention span to things that make us happy, so... Okay, so what uh, what should be our our source of joy, if if we can find it or attain it? What what should be the source of joy? Well, you know, I think ultimately our, our source of joy has to come from outside of us. Um, it seems too too evident, just looking at our uh, at anyone's life, that their lasting joy, their lasting satisfaction in life, 
really can never come from themselves because of the temporal nature of our lives. I mean, we will die one day, all of us. Um, everything we own will decay. Um, all of our experiences will be temporary. So there, there really has to be something beyond our immediate circumstance that, that provides for us something that we can't derive on ourselves. And so we have to look at God, I think, is, is the ultimate source of joy. Mm-hmm. And there's some reasons um, that I can point to for that. But there's an interesting um, passage in Scripture that, that, to me, indicates this uh, find, needing to find joy outside of ourselves. It's in the book of Nehemiah, chapter uh, 8, I believe it is, that the people of Israel, God's people, have been in exile for centuries uh, in a land not their own. They have forgotten the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. They haven't ever understood or heard or even read God's laws. And at one point, they're given freedom to go back to Jerusalem, begin rebuilding uh, the walls of, of Jerusalem. And at one point, uh, Ezra, a leader in their uh, people, comes along and he opens the, the law of God. They find the laws of God and they read them openly to the people. And an interesting thing happens. They begin weeping and wailing and mourning because they realize they haven't done the things that God had mm-hmm. called them to do. They, they weren't aware, maybe, but they realized that they hadn't obeyed God's commands. And so they're, they're really, I mean, falling apart. And an interesting thing happens. The, the leaders come to the people and they say, in verse 10 of chapter 8 in Nehemiah, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Mm-hmm. An interesting phrase. They're, they're mourning the fact that they've disobeyed God, mm-hmm. that they haven't accomplished what they need to, and they have no hope. They're feeling hopeless. And he says, no, no, no. Rejoice uh, because the Lord is your strength. Mm. Or have joy because the Lord is your strength. They were hearing his word and then told, don't be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and it's as if, and you can really point then even directly from there to the gospel of Christ. Mm. He's saying to them, the leaders are saying to them, you have to look outside of yourself here for joy. It doesn't come from your accomplishment or you're crossing every religious uh, T and dotting every religious I. Your joy comes from something else outside of you and specifically that something is God. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your joy. And so that indicates to me, and, and you see that theme throughout scripture, people of God finding their lasting joy in God. And that's a theme oft repeated that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, as you were just as you were just talking, Rick, I, I was thinking of Galatians five, as Paul's writing to yeah. the church in in Galatia, and he says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, gentleness, all those things. And so we see that even there that those who are in Christ and who those who have the spirit dwelling within them have joy. It's an outside source of the Spirit pouring out joy within them. Yeah. And and then think about, okay, so if Christ is the source of joy, where does His joy come from? Mm-hmm. Right? So we have to go back to the source here. We're talking about wanting to tap into this source of joy, 
So where does that source originate, mm-hmm. right? And so I, to, for that, I go back to the Gospel of John, and uh, in chapter 15, um, the Lord Jesus is uh, preaching to his disciples, uh, kind of one-on-one, or one as a group, I guess. Um, and he says some interesting things, um, starting in verse 9, uh, Jesus is saying to them, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus is talking, referring to the disciples about his relationship with the Father. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously, if, if Christ is eternal God, as the Bible teaches he is, that means he existed before all things, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, which we would, which we call the Trinity. Mm-hmm. So before anything was created, before any man, before any trees, plants, earth, anything was created, the Trinity existed in eternal, blissful relationship mm-hmm. with Himself. And it says that Christ says, I abide in my Father because I obey His commandments for me. Mm-hmm. And he says, therefore, you will abide in my love if you obey my commandments. So Jesus is saying, my relationship with the Father, I pass down to you. You relate to the Father through me. Mm -hmm. And then he says in the next verse, uh, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that that my joy may be in you and that your joy Mm -hmm. may be full. Mm -hmm. So it seems to indicate that the source of joy is in the relationship Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit have with one another. Um, it indicates, additionally, that they were satisfied in themselves. Their joy that they shared among each other uh, was irrespective of out, any other outside source. Mm-hmm. That was the fountainhead of all joy. And yet they chose to create and Christ chose to humble himself and to come and to redeem his people that they might experience the joy that was shared within the Godhead uh, before all things were created. So we have to look at true joy has to come outside of us. It didn't derive with us. It derived with God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's an amazing thought that the, the Godhead had our joy in mind. Nuts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. Wow. Why would God? Why would God uh, condescend to to share His joy and for us to find our greatest satisfaction in His joy? Um, why would He do that? You know, and it just really points to the fact that God desired it. It brings Him joy yeah. to to give us joy. Yeah. Um, not that He is less joyful without us, but he just wanted, out of an overflow of love for his son, mm-hmm. wanted to create a, a group of people that he would give to the son that would find joy in him, and he could share joy with them. And for now, then eternity, we will live in his joy. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, uh, looking back at, at Philippians, what are some things that we can learn from Paul's life regarding the joy that he found in, in the gospel? 
Yeah, well, here's a it's a it's a it's a great question. Um, and you look at the author of Philippians, obviously, it's, it's Paul, right? Um, and we talked about how God's people uh, have always appeared to suffer greatly. Um, you know, we, we live in a society now, even in our Western church, where so much is focused on if, if you're God's people, your suffering will diminish your circumstances will all improve financial health, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, but as you look at Scripture, that isn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Just from a practical overview, Paul's life stunk yeah. in many ways, physically. Yeah. <laughs> and as he's writing the book of Philippians, it's a great case study because he's in prison as he's writing to this beloved church yeah. in Philippi. So that's the foundation of, of his authorship is he's in jail, suffering. And it isn't, you know, we, we look at that and we think, oh, Paul's in jail. Uh, but it really was a bad situation. Uh, we can't sugarcoat it. He was suffering uh, for Christ. And yet he writes some pretty amazing yeah. things that, that carry a theme through the book. And I just, you know, I was glad you asked this question because I, I jotted just a few highlights down. So as he's in prison in Rome... He's writing to these people, and he begins in 1 verse 6 by saying, He who began a good work, which he calls it, in you, will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, he's writing to a group of individuals who also were suffering for their faith, for standing for Christ. They were being persecuted. So he, like them, he's identifying with them, and he's saying, This is a good work Mm -hmm. that God has begun in you. Not the work of suffering, but the work of Christ in you and through you to bring about his kingdom work in this world. That good work has begun, and God's going to carry that to completion. Mm -hmm. So at the foundation of of the book, he's saying, yes, this suffering that you and I are enduring is a good work, which is countercultural, right, it seems like. Then in talking about his imprisonment later on in chapter 1, verses 21, 20 and 21, he he says, It's my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So here, again, he's he's indicating um, his satisfaction isn't based on his current circumstance. His satisfaction is firm because Christ's promises stand firm. And then he says this famous phrase, To live is Christ... To die is gain. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of labeled those as I took notes here. To live as Christ is joy anticipated, mm-hmm. knowing that if I am to continue in this life and suffer, so be it, because I'm still in the family of Christ. Jesus is still my Savior. Jesus is still my steadfast hope. But then he says, and to die is gain. That's, I took in my notes, wrote, joy fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, uh, we're, we're told in Scripture that once this life is through and we're with Christ in eternity, that's when everything just begins, our joy will be fulfilled. Yeah. We'll never have an, another moment of doubt and discouragement and fear and pain and suffering and ever. So Paul's saying, hey, to live now, you know, I'm, it's, an, it's joy anticipated because Christ is still my king, 
But if I were to go away from this life, man, that's even better, mm. right? By far, he says in Philippians mm. uh, further on. Chapter 3, he kind of he gives this command, the first of a couple commands. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, and, and that's not a phrase that we can underestimate, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, he's pointing back to the source. Mm-hmm. It's not in yourself. It's not in your strength. It's not in your circumstance. It's in the Lord. It's unrelated to your circumstance. Um, it's really pointing to an unchangeable relationship to a sovereign God. And, uh, and that's what Paul held on to. <laughs> An yeah. unchangeable... I mean, think of our lives for a second, Jeremy. I mean, how, how temporary are all of our circumstances? Yeah. I mean, it's just one wave changes our life and then we hit by another wave and it goes another direction. I mean, there's nothing really steadfast in our lives. Yeah. Um, but Paul's pointing to something that is... eternally steadfast, where he finds us hope. A couple other things that I saw in in Philippians, and I'm sorry if I'm stealing all of your thoughts, but... um, No, I I have no thoughts. You have no... Well, that's (laughs) not unusual. No. (laughs) Just kidding. Then in chapter 3, verse 20, uh, again, he's talking about his eternal hope. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's, he's getting the Philippian people in the middle of their suffering, and he reminding himself in the middle of his suffering that their citizenship, their belonging, is somewhere else. It's in, it's in heaven. Yes, they are in this life, but they're to, they're to have hope because Christ, who is the conquering king, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he rules and reigns and will for all time and eternity. And so he's pointing them again to their hope. And then we get to chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just point out some of the highlights. Again, as he does at the beginning of chapter 3, he commands again in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Um, Then he says, For he is at hand. Okay, the Lord is coming soon. Now, we don't know what that time frame looks like necessarily, but again, it's this, this hopefulness that Paul is pointing to, reminding them, your hope is coming, your hope is steadfast, and it will come for you. Mm. There's no reason to despair of life um, because God is faithful. And then he says, um, therefore, do not be anxious about anything. Now, what a command that is. To a group of people that are suffering, yeah, right. Uh, how do you say to uh, a person, a, a Chinese pastor, yeah. who is in prison currently mm-hmm. for preaching the gospel of Jesus? How do you say to that person not to be anxious? How do you say to his family who doesn't know where he is or how long he'll be gone or if they'll ever see him again? Don't be anxious. Yeah. How do you say that? I mean, that doesn't make human sense. Yeah. And I don't think God is saying there's no need for concern right. uh, or wonder about that, but it shouldn't be a situation that consumes and destroys your hope. Yeah. So he says, don't be anxious about anything, for the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds 
in Christ Jesus. I think what he's doing there when he says rejoice in the Lord, he's then going on to modify where that joy comes from. That is the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So yeah, your circumstances uh, may stink, right? But God and his presence and the gospel of Christ will guard your hearts and minds from giving up, from losing hope, from losing ultimate joy. Um, and that's a story I, you know, I see not just in Philippians, you see that throughout the New Testament and even the Old Testament, yeah. but especially in the life of Paul over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think of, I think of you know, Hebrews 11, right? You have that great hall of faith and, and all these people who suffered for the case of Christ. And then Paul or the writer of Hebrews, <laughs> the writer of Hebrews says... Yeah, we don't know who that is, We don't Jerry. know who that is. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we're, so, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to the author and perfecter of our faith. And I love this part. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. And I think about that, and it's like he went to the cross joyfully because he was accomplishing the will of the Father, because he was returning back to glory soon, um, but he was also getting his bride, the one whom he was coming to die for. Yeah. And so I think looking at that, looking at that, Christ was joyful going to the cross because there he was purchasing, purchasing us, his bride. I, that's where we, we look back and say, that's where our joy is found, because it was at that point in which... We were purchased. Such an amazing thought. Yeah, yeah. We we belong to someone that is eternal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and who promises eternal life. Yeah. That's where our belonging is, and it reminds me. I mean, just you you see uh, also in in the scriptures, uh, like in Psalms. Especially, you see this idea of um, our belonging uh, to another. Our citizenship is in another place. Um, in uh, Psalm eighty-four, um, it's that the famous passage that talks about, um, "I long to be in your courts." Better is a thousand days in your mm -hmm. courts than, you know, or what is it? No, that's not right. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's it. <laughs> that's what I meant to be. Uh, but in that passage, it's interesting in in the NIV, um, not so much in the ESV, but the NIV words it, "Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage," mm -hmm. right? And it, before that, it talks about their longing to be in the courts of God. They understand that that this life is not all that there is, mm -hmm. that there is a hope beyond where God is seated, and that's where our, our true citizenship is. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's always been this longing. Uh, this understanding, we see it again repeated in the New Testament, that our citizenship is in heaven. We're a, we're a peculiar people in this world, and we understand that our, our home is somewhere else, and that is with God. And so I think that's appropriate for us to keep that in mind, that our citizenship is somewhere else, because it it helps solidify our hope and our joy, yeah. regardless of our circumstance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul, you know... <laughs> If, if you want a case study in joy, 
lasting joy despite circumstances, read the book of 2 Corinthians. I mean, he starts off by talking about how he despaired of life because of his situation. Uh, so many people were against him, and he was imprisoned and gone through so many trials that he said, I just want to die, right, in chapter one. Um, but, That's a great way to start a book. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> hey, be encouraged, church. I just want to die, right? But I think all of us can, to, to some degree or another, um, can relate to the fact that, man, there's a lot of hopelessness in, in life. Yeah. Uh, and yet, Paul kind of takes that theme and uh, a few of the passages that he talks about, um, especially in chapters 4 and chapter 5, um, he talks about the outer self wasting away, um, but the inner self being renewed. So, yeah, our human physical uh, and even maybe emotional selves are wasting away. Um, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's mm-hmm. what I think joy is, a renewal of our inner man. Mm-hmm. Not given over to despair, not giving over to hopelessness, but renewed source uh, of joy and strength. And then in chapter 5, he talks about, you know, we have an eternal home with God in verse 1. In chap- verse 2, he says... And so we have a persistent, hopeful longing uh, for what is to come. And in verse 9, um, he, he talks about that we have, um, that it gives us purpose to share our eternal joy in Christ with others. He says we make it our aim, therefore, because we, have, we make it our aim to please him. Mm-hmm. So we have purpose in this life that brings joy, and that is to please the Lord and to make his grace and his glory known in the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. That's what we were left here to do. And it brings us joy um, now, but it also reminds us of our eternal joy that is to come. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here's a dude that suffered greatly, but never gave up his eternal joy. And it wasn't because he was so strong, right? In fact, he talks about being incredibly weak yeah. uh, and... <laughs> asking the Lord to take away his suffering. Yeah. You know, in chapter 12, I believe it is, he talks about, Lord, I, you know, three times I asked for him to take this away. And he says, each time my strength is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Yeah. And I think he established within Paul and the others serving with Paul a lasting joy um, despite their circumstance, which is, I think is a, is a call that all of us need to, to be reminded of. Well, we've been uh, we've been going through the book of James, mm. and uh, it seems like every Sunday is just a perpetual punch in the gut. Thanks, um, Pastor John. <laughs> but James just he, he knocks you down, and then he just he just seems to kick you while you're on the ground, and so naturally there there is this tendency. I don't know, at least for me, there's this tendency to feel joyless you know, hopeless, feel despair because I'm, I'm not, I'm not who I am. Um, so what would be your encouragement or what would be your action steps, um, for somebody who is, who's joyless, who's, who's struggling to, to find joy, uh, in the gospel? What would, what would be your action steps for that? Well, uh, a couple of things I, I wrote down when you asked me that question that that I would share, but going back to the book of James, um, He says, 
to them in chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I mean, that's a, that's a command. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. So Paul, is, or not, uh, he, we're, we're, James is writing and he's saying, here's all these tests of your faith, you know, test the authenticity of your faith. Are you in Christ? And, and here's these various ways that, that indicate whether or not you have a relationship with God. And you're right, on the surface level, it feels like, oh man, that's a weight I can't carry. Mm-hmm. That's too heavy for me. And it almost seems counter to the, to the fact that we're saved by grace through faith alone and not by works. It seems like we're being told your works will save you. And, I, and obviously we've been reminded week in, week out that that isn't the case, but our works, our good works, are an, an outpouring of the gospel that has taken root in our lives. Mm-hmm. So it's a necessary byproduct of the fact that we're in Christ. Yet it does feel heavy still, mm-hmm. because we are commanded to a great thing, to obey the commands of God. Yet here at the end, Paul, or I keep saying Paul, <laughs> the author is concluding and he says, therefore be patient until the coming of the Lord. He's like, okay, folks, take a deep breath here. <laughs> be reminded that God is coming. Christ will return, and all will be made perfect in that time. Yes, there's going to be hardship and pain and suffering living for Christ now, but there's joy in that, both now and for eternity. So don't lose hope. Be patient. Mm -hmm. God is coming. And so, again, it goes back to looking at the steadfast foundation of our hope, which is God himself. Mm -hmm. And he's making promises that cannot be taken away. God is coming. Christ is coming. Don't lose heart. God is the one, and again, back to Philippians 1, 6, God's the one that began the good work, and he's going to be the one to carry it to completion. And so, yeah, folks, if, if you're out there and you've been, you've been struggling listening to this, this exhortation from the book of James, mm-hmm. understand that that God is the one doing the work in your life still through the Spirit of God. He's empowering you to obey. He's empowering you to proclaim the good news. He's empowering you to live in a life uh, that is worthy of Christ. Yet that's frustrating at times. It's hard. It's difficult. But again, our hope and our foundation has to go back to uh, who God is and what he has promised. And so I would just say that from the book of James, um, as an as an outset to to just not lose heart, mm-hmm. right? Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this passage from from uh, Psalm forty two mm-hmm. uh, because here's here's the sons of Korah um, feeling this weight, right? And it says uh, forty two verse five. It says, "Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me?" And here's the solution: hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Instead of, instead of living in that despair and saying, well, this is, this is too hard, I, I can't do it anymore, and walking away, their response is hope in God. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, and why And hope, a great reminder. Yeah, and why hope in God? Well, he's the only being that's eternal. Yeah. He's the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things, and the one that will bring all things to fruition. Uh, That's why I can't hope in myself, because I'm so 
broken and so um, and so much turmoil that I can't depend on myself to bring myself joy. That just doesn't make sense. And so I think that's why humanly we look outside ourselves for, you know, we look at, we look to good food or to exercise and health and um, sex and other relationships to try to satisfy. Right. And all of that doesn't, the command there in chapter 42 of Psalms is hope in God. Yeah. He's eternal. Yeah. Um, that makes sense to us in Christ. To the world, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but I, but their hope and their connection to God is found in Christ. And so the more that we can proclaim Christ to people and what he has done for them to provide the ultimate joy that is found in being in relationship with God, that Christ came to the cross, that he bore that burden for them, a burden they could never carry. If they did carry it, they would carry it straight into hell mm. and eternal punishment. But Christ bore that for them. Hmm. He's the connection to God. So we can transpose that hope in God in Psalm 42 to hope in Christ, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is the same thing, but hope in Christ, who is our way to everlasting joy yeah. in God. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Rick, for joining us on the Voice of Valley and encouraging us to find our joy in Christ. It's been my joy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, friends, the Christian life can be a fight for joy, and we pray that through this podcast, you will look to Christ, that you will look to the cross, to the empty tomb, to him seated at the right hand of the Father as he intercedes for you. That is, that's our source of joy. And next week, we're going to start a four-week series on historical figures in the church, men who have uh, gone through pain, uh, sorrow, suffering, uh, despair, and yet they still had this unshakable joy in Christ. And we pray that that series will be of encouragement to you, especially those who may be, who may be joyless, who may be going through times of despair, as they as they look to Christ uh, as their cornerstone. We look forward to being with you this Sunday and next week on the Voice of the Valley.